choose are for you to lose. These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am the host of the show. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. I survived a coma eight years ago, and now I'm talking to guests like Jay Mumford, who is a drummer. He is an author. He is a former rapper under the name J-Zone. He released a book, Root for the Villain, Rap, Bullshit, and a Celebration of Failure. And this book meant a lot to me. When when this book came out, 2011? Yeah, I mean, I think I read it around the time it came out. So it just, he talks about quitting rapping. He had the rare radical coma moment. I mean, it's, it's, we talk about it in the show. It's just super inspiring to read him talk about really reckoning with how much he enjoyed what he was doing, which when it came to rap was not much, and making a change. And not that I didn't enjoy what I was doing, although maybe, I don't know, but it, it just, it was helpful to see an example of someone checking in with themselves and really honing their values and putting them into practice in their life creatively. That meant a lot to me. And for that reason, it was incredible to be able to talk to Jay. He has a band now, the Do Rights, in which he is a drummer. He just, he became a drummer in his 30s, just started teaching himself drums. And now he is a funk drummer. And the Do Rights are fucking great. They like just perfect funk music for me is kind of like, uh, it's, it's, it's like cooking, it's social, it's sunny day music. It's, and the Do Rights are great for all that stuff. If you want to hear the full conversation, you can get that on Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr. That's always for all these episodes. I don't do ads. So the way to support the show is to go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr, become an afterhead for $5 or become a pigeon level patron for $15 a month. Those people get their names shouted out on the show. And they are Kurt Chang, Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, Fred Fidawa, John Lee, Shuba Singh, and Debo. And as he said, they and yeah, enjoy, enjoy my conversation here with Jay Mumford. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like- Paint your hell. Is it like absolute hell or is it like jokingly hell? Like, is it like real hell or is it kind of like being kind of like, it's not like obviously terminal illness. It's like, there's sure. hell. There's that and it's just like, yo, I hate it. It's so annoying. I can't stand it. Like, up to you. You can you can give me a taste of both. You, if you're in a specific mood, you can just go dark. Whatever. It's up to you. Because I'm dealing with it now, too much nostalgia is hell. Like I just because social media brings everything to your doorstep. And like I was saying, I don't want to like make anybody, you know, make because because you I didn't realize until I I made a mistake of tweeting honest opinions about my own career because i'm like okay you i don't talk bad about another artist because that's their journey and who am i to say but i'm like well i thought my stuff wouldn't be off limits because it's my music it's my career right right, right. i made somebody asked me something i was like yeah oh yeah i'd rather you know 
I do I'd rather do 18 years of jury duty than do 18 minutes on stage doing hip hop some something like that and people are like well that actually makes me really sad and you, that's kind of like pompous and you know people took it and it's like yo man when I was in high school man like that music was everything and there was stuff when I was in high school that was everything to me too and then I met those guys and then they might have been like like Redman the rap artist yeah one my second favorite album by him is an album he despises because his life was so dark when he made it but when he said that, I was like, wow, it doesn't change the fact that I love the album. But I'm like, that's interesting. I relate. And if I ever met him, I wouldn't be like, man. But like the nostalgia, like social media, like once I got on all those platforms, yo, man, and they would take pictures of the old record. You know, they would like put the music like in Spotify. You, you see someone tags you in a story and you can't really see. So you do oh, the story. Yes. And the first thing you hear is your song. <laughs> wow. You're yeah, like, yeah. oh. God, not this shit. It's like, man, you need to go back, man. Go back to the 90s, man. And then- oh, well, that feels like if someone's telling you to go back, that's like a fuck off. But yeah. if, if it's more sensitive and they're like, and they can't separate, yeah, so that's where like, I would it's understand. Like sh- it's like, yo, it's a shame you don't do this anymore. Or like I could post, like I could post uh, something like Austin City Limits. Like, yo, this is the greatest night of my career. Yo, thank you for everyone. This is amazing. I'm just really happy. And somebody could be like, you know, it's really a shame. I, like, they'll turn it into a funeral in the comments, and then somebody will see that and agree. And then now all of a sudden, you have a whole thread about how sad it is that I And then, like, the, the post was happy for me and sad for them. So then it makes me want to be even further away from it. It has the opposite effect. Like, oh, we miss you. Come back. I'm like, yeah, no. Like, so the nostalgia, just in general, I'm not a fan. Like, I feel like this two kinds of artists. Once you've been around for 10, 20 years, you have the artists who have two or three hits. They can go to Vegas, they can do cruise ships, and they those three songs pay their mortgage until they're 70, and that's it. And that's great because it's so elusive to have a big hit. And then you have artists like a Miles Davis where like, yo, they just change and then they don't look back. And like, that's kind of, there's no right or wrong, but for me, like once I do something, it's like it's tainted. Like I don't go back and do it unless it's like with Do Rights. That's my band. Like okay, we could right. Is it the same with Do Rights album? No, because okay, with an you know as a drummer, like I can listen to the first album. Like damn, I had only been playing a few years. I'm like I turned it into it becomes a challenge. Like I'm gonna play that song so much funkier with what I know now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like you sometimes you're like yeah i'm tired you know we have this debate like yo i'm tired of playing that song over and over but it's like i can make adjustments to it and then it it, it feels good and challenging whereas if you're a hip-hop artist and you change the lyrics on the song everybody loves right, right, they're gonna right. Boo you. if you do it over a different beat they're gonna boo. so there's no room for improvisation you have to Whoever you were at 21 years old when you did that record, now you're 47 and you got to keep doing it. Well, and especially when, like, with the rap stuff for you, there was such a, like, humor element and, like, so much comedy is is of that time. It is uh, not meant to. Not meant to be. Yeah. It didn't fly. And it's like, I don't. To be telling the jokes you were telling at 21, at 35, you know, and it's like, and I'm a different person. And even then it was a character. It was, it was made. Right, 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 right. It was made as a, as a joke. Like, 
Sly Stallone plays Rocky or, you know, whatever. And it was like, okay, I'm going to create this character to make it easier to do this. But then it's like, even five or six years in, I couldn't do it anymore from a performing standpoint. So I stopped performing. But, but when you said I have that moment in the book, like, that's what happened. Like, I had to perform a song that I think that I made my biggest record, one of my biggest records. It's the worst song in the history of recorded music. And I had to perform it. And as soon as it started, I just stopped. I just said, I hate this record. I can't do it. I'm, I'm going to go do something else in my life. So it's, you know, but it's kind of like when you, you know, with social media, like this was like this, the high point of somebody else's life. Right. So it becomes very slippery because it's a time that I don't want to remember. And it's meant everything to someone. So it's like my hell is like, I reach for my cell phone too early in the morning, like I'm still in bed and I toggle off airplane mode and then I'm being bombarded with like, you need to go back to this. You know, it's a shame you don't do this anyway. So like before your day even starts, you, I'm just like ornery for the rest of the day because of, because of this. And so I learned to like compartmentalize it and not go on social media at certain times of the day or if I have something important to do. Because it gets in your head after a while, like people just telling you how much they dislike where you're going it's just you know so it's hard to fully disengage from yeah and it's just like it just you know so i mean luckily because of people like quest love and people like adam deitch and and sharing my drumming videos it's the other side of the audience and to the newer stuff has grown so and then people who were into the older stuff finally get the hint and unfollow or just don't bother so sure. over the years, it's been a, it's slowly gotten a little bit less, you know, tiresome, I guess. But my right. personal hell is basically the comment section of social media. Like when it goes bad, when it's good, it can make your day. Like, you know, sure. a, 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 a positive confirmation from Quest Love could like, holy smokes. Like it just, it makes your day. And then somebody saying the wrong thing, it's like, oh God. What do you hope happens when you die? That's a good question. Um, Thank you. I would think uh, maybe the price of healthcare will go down. No. Um, <laughs> for everyone else or for you? <laughs> maybe for everyone else. Maybe I'll be a test case. Like, see how you die to that? All right, let's get this, this, this stuff affordable again. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's um, a good question. Um. I don't know. I just don't, I don't know if I want, like, that's, I'm trying to think. The the darkness of it doesn't bother me. It's just like, I never thought about what I want to happen, but maybe to, you know, I always, I often think about like, you know, because so many people have been passing away so young, Mm -hmm. you know, even with COVID and everything, losing so many people prematurely, you know, it's always like, you always wonder like, what's my, legacy quote unquote or what am I going to be remembered for and because I've had so many things you know different people have different things but I was hoping that you know just with I, I just the thing I'm most proud of is like being able to find passion through music after going through that picking up an instrument and going back to my original because I was a funk bass player when I was a kid so yeah so finding my original passion I would hope that that story would inspire somebody 
you know, to other people who, who are like hitting a brick wall in their thirties and forties, like, you know, that guy, he actually did it. Like he, it was, you know, because most people, when you're around a lot of people your age, they just tell you no, because they already have a miserable marriage and some miserable kids. And well, if I had time to learn drums, I would do it too, but not some of us got to work. You know, so like I would get a lot of that. But yeah, I was working and I was practicing eight hours a day. I just wasn't dating and I wasn't having fun. And that, you know, <laughs> I just put all my time into learning drums because it meant something. But it was just like I would hope that maybe it would inspire other people to pursue something far fetched that they're really passionate about. And, you know, it's like they don't. It's not like, yo, I'm too old, the ship has sailed. Like, I, I hope that after I die, people learn more about that story and, you know, mastering their craft and finding something new in life to, you know, to, to go. Because most artists, a lot of artists are miserable because they want to get out, but they feel like they can't because it's like, yo, it pays my bills. This is what I'm known for. So it's like, even when I was trying to do it, I had a lot, of, even my close friends, like, oh, you're a rap artist for like, like you're never, you're not a drummer. You're never going to be able to do that. You know? Mm. And you know, like it made me go even harder at it. And now I have people messaging me like, yo man, like you said, like, you know, I was working, you know, I, I had this career, I hated it. And then I picked this thing up and I started learning to play piano and now I have a gig. And it's like that me, that to me makes it feel like, you know, it was worth it just to be where I am alone, but to know that other people were inspired by that because it just doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, we're used to the like 30 under 30 lists and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And when people do something, oh, he's a 40 year veteran of this or that, like you don't see right. somebody just totally change a field and refuse to be pigeonholed and start from the bottom and pay dues and work up in their thirties and forties. Right. It's kind of like, you don't, when your thirties and forties, real life takes over, who has time to do that? And it's like, right. you can do it, but something has to go. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. You have to give up something. And most people just like, they want to be scrolling for four hours a day or playing video games or watching TV and still achieve it with everything else, like something's got to go. So like when I was learning to play drums, like that's all I did besides work and take care of my grandmother. I had no life. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, you know, but I'm in a much happier place at 46 than I was at 36 or 26. And maybe, you know, it would help you know, I would like to see more people in their 30s and 40s find a new thing that they can carry into their older years and be proud of it, have something that they're proud of, you know. I mean, that's really beautiful. And it's and it's I think kind of why I mean, we've ta we're talking about the importance of kind of threading the needle to not step on well-meaning people's toes who right. likes the old music. But it is kind of why it's important for you to constantly reassert that story, because it's like. Because the the good side of you doing that is reminding people, like, you know, I'm sure some people are like, "Why well, won't this guy shut up about?" We get you're a drummer now, and it's like, but really, you need to be shouting like, "I'm a drummer now." You can be whatever your version of being a drummer is too, yeah. you know. And I like that it's not about that it's that it's not about making the living. You were able to go from making a living. To making a living, mm -hmm. but what it sounds like it really is is about the dedication and the mastery and the 
the passion of that thing and that you know as as someone who's in the spot of passion and and I am passionate about the art but not making a living it's good to remember hey the art is the art you're valid if you're making the art yeah do whatever you got to do to pay the bills and don't make whether or not you can pay the bills the definition of whether or not the art is valid yeah it was like i'm making a living at it now but i wasn't always but it it wasn't yeah. any less valid when i wasn't because i was so invested in it you know and yeah. it meant so it saved my spirit like i don't know where i would be if i didn't make that change um but i'd probably be a very miserable person because it got dark like especially 26 I came back to hip hop for a couple of years using it as a vehicle for my drumming, which is the bane of my career. Everything was using something as a vehicle for something else. Mm. But when you do that, as you know, people wind up a tr- you like you never know what your hit record is going to be like. You don't know if you do eight things, you can't pick which one the public is going to resonate with. So you could be like, well, my thing is acting, but I also do stand up comedy. I'm also a musician. And then, like, you could become known as a musician, a stand-up comedian, and acting is your passion, but it never kicked. And it's like, now you're doing all these stand-up comedy gigs, you're doing these music gigs, mm-hmm. and you're not acting. And it's like, well, everybody knows me as this, and I have no interest. That's what happened to me. So, it you know, that's something that using things as a vehicle for other things like that. But then that brought me to my second, like, I burned out in 07, 08 when I, when I walked the stuff in the book. But then after the book, I tried to do a couple of more hip hop things using the, as a vehicle for my drumming, because I had no connections in the drumming world, singer songwriter. I was still learning. I was still green two, three years playing. And it was a good canvas to show that I, I could do drumming, but to someone who was always a jack of all trades, Oh, he just added another trade to the list. Drumming. Yeah. 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 And then so, you know, the album would come out and they'd be asking me about lyrics or beats on the album. And I'm like, yeah, those beats are 10 years old. I just took the sample drums out and played live on top. Okay, what about the lyrics? Ah, whatever. I wrote it in 10 minutes. I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's like, I want to, it's a drumming interview. Well, then why are you rapping if you do, just go be a drummer? Yeah. And then, Did it feel like you had to shave off trades to become... You have to. It's it's like yeah. it's, it's it's like trimming the fat. Like it, learning, it was like getting rid of superfluous spending and activities that weren't, yeah. you know. And then once you learn the trade, it's like okay, this I'm tempted to make X amount of money doing a DJ gig or writing mm-hmm. a column, or you know, oh somebody wants a beat or a verse, a couple of hundred bucks here, a couple of hundred bucks there, and I'm like, I'd rather just take go through a financial rough patch and put that time into my craft and make it on the other end because now they're calling me because I can cut those drums in one take rather than taking yeah. two two weeks to do it because I practice five minutes a day because I got to write a rhyme. I got to do a beat. I got to write a column. I got to cover a basketball game. I got to do something for Ozzy or Medium or Ego Trip. And then it's like, when I cut everything out, the, the the progress just it it went back to what it was in the beginning. Like it's almost like a computer. Like when 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 the you get the pinwheel. It's like when I first started yeah. playing, all I was doing was drumming and odd jobbing. So I made this progress, and then when I had this bright idea to fuse the old hip hop with the drumming, 
it gave me a canvas, but then the pinwheel came up and the computer got slow and the progress went down. I got sucked in to the, the hip hop. I wound up doing a South by Southwest thing. It was the worst 15 minutes of my entire music career, seriously. And I, like, another thing where I walked off stage and it's like, yo, you sh- 2007 was the end. Why are you doing this? Right, right. But that's so real, like my experience. And and we should just go into this because the the question I tend to save for the end for folks and the and the the genesis of kind of all of my work. I mean, I was already doing stand up, but in 2014, I was in a coma for three and a half weeks, almost got taken off life support. And um and also, speaking of social media, there was a time when everyone thought I died, so they eulogized me on Facebook. So I got some of that too. But but then you know I'm I'm going into more of this like one man show world. I made a couple of those. Out of the second show comes the second show was like set in the afterlife, and I had a bunch of like bits and and ideas there, and a lot of those have made the podcast. And so the question I ask people at the end is what's your coma? And the the idea just being some moment of transformation where before you're one version of yourself, after you're another. And so for you, if what we're using, which I mean, it's everything we've talked about up to this point, right. is, this, is this moment of picking up drums, setting down rap, however you, you know, there's multiple things it sounds like you set down and picked up. But to go from being a rapper to a drummer, to put it plainly, I love that there are these jagged moments where you tried to make other things work because that is real. Like to to, to go, oh, and you had this crazy moment on stage where you walked off. That's already kind of more extreme of a thing than most people get. But even then, it wasn't like it was all over. It still takes time for these things to fully like the the toxins to get out of your system. I I always say like my divorce from being a hip hop artist was the divorce itself was like a nine year process, man. It started in 2006, no, 10 years. It started gradually in 2006 and it didn't come to full end till 2016. It took 10 years to, you know, I just, in 2006, I didn't know what my next thing was going to be with the drumming. By 2011, I knew what it was going to be. And then the next five years, it's like, how do I make this pivot fully? And then you naturally you're thinking, well, let me try to balance them all. And then gradually you phase, you know, like recently I deleted the J-Zone Facebook. It had 13,000 followers. I deleted it because so, it would go so far back that I was getting a lot of that yeah. you know, sad comments and People going on messing with me. And now I have a, a J Mumford music Facebook with 200 followers and the experience is so much better. Cause I said, Hey, I'm closing this account. If the drumming and stuff is your thing, this is where you need to go. I gave it a week and then I closed it. And it's like, wow, I have 200 followers and it's awesome because everybody is there for what it is, you know, but it was like, even the, so even closing out the name, Jason, the social media, stop rapping, stop doing the beats. It was done in phases. It wasn't a hard wipe. You know what I'm saying? It, it took yeah. like writing the book and then leaving music period and kind of coming back and then still DJing at the end 
to pay the bills because I had a corporate gig. So I'm like, I'm done with rapping, done with producing, mm. but I'm still DJing once a week because it's corporate. And But that's what kept my bills paid while I did those yeah. $5 drumming gigs to get my chops up. And then once I got to a certain level of drumming, I got fired from the DJ gig. But it was like, wait a minute, I'm already working as a drummer. Like, why do I need the DJ gig? Yeah. You know, wow. So- there are really five. I've, I've never heard of a gig that pays as little as some stand-up comedy gigs. I mean, $5 for like a, a set is, well, no, is it was a just, very... It was basically a free show, but like everybody, what by the time you you know, split the, the band split everything, like everybody got five bucks for gas. Wow. You know, so in the beginning, but like those dues have to be paid, but I was 40 years old paying those dues. So it's... Yeah, like, yeah. When you're 17, you're still living at home, you can do that. At 40... You still have to do it. It doesn't absolve you from doing it, but you got to get the money from somewhere because you're a grown ass adult. So I took the corporate DJing gig to pay the bills so that I could do it. So looking back, like it would be easy for me to say, I shouldn't have DJed. I should have just been practicing all day. But yeah, where's your money coming from? So there was still money from those streams petering out at the end that kept me. And then once I got to a point with drumming, it was able to support me till I got to that point. And then when I got fired, it was like, well, I could look for a new DJ gig to replace it. Right. Or I can go fully into this and really try to make it happen. And how do you deal with the aspect of paying your dues where you're getting, um, kind of side eye or, the, the the emotional aspects of paying your dues where people are like dude you're 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 40 we we're used to the people doing this being 17 this is weird man don't put us in this position of having to treat you like a 17 year what do we do with you you know what i mean yeah like what was your how how did you deal with that the thing with that was um during those years like I was pretty tight lipped about stuff. Like I was very out, like certain friends I could share that information and I knew which friends and relatives I couldn't tell, you know, like it it was just, I was very, because, you know, don't bust your spirit. I mean, it wasn't going to stop me regardless, but it like, it does suck to be like, you know, you're 41, 42 and you're like you and five guys in a van driving through the Midwest and you're getting a, a per diem that's real low. And, you know, so it was kind of like, you know, people kind of knew but didn't really say anything. But I was also doing things like I was being sampled by like popular producers. And so that was like publishing revenue. So I was doing some studio stuff that was higher. So people, a lot of people probably assume like he's making his living off that and he's doing the shows to get the experience on a live level which I had to do. Like in order to lose your jitters, you just got to play them. I would have never been able to do Austin City Limits if I didn't play, you know, those those Midwest gigs with Ben Pirani where we're in a, in a sprinter going yeah. all through the Midwest or up and down the California coast. Like, or with, you know, my partner in the Do-Rights, his, he and his wife have a rock band called Lulu Lewis. We would play in the East Village every once a week. The money wasn't there, but it was like, I was building my skill, you know, my my skills and getting my confidence together so that when Adrian Casada calls for Austin City Limits, I was ready. You know, so it's like it 
I could kind of foresee that. Cause, and also I was doing, a, I had a podcast at the time called Give the Drummer Some. Okay. And it was with Red Bull Music Academy. Uh, and I was, yeah. I was interviewing greats, Bernard Purdy, Questlove, Mike Clark from, you know, the Headhunters, Herbie Hancock, uh, you know, Steve Ferrone from Tom Petty, Average White Band, D- David Garibaldi, Tower of Power, Harold Brown from War. They all had one thing in common. They just said, yeah, back then, all we would do was play. Like, we would rehearse eight hours a day. We, You know, George Brown from Cool in the Gang. Like, they would play from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. on school nights. And they would get those ABC cards because they were underage to play in clubs in Jersey City and Bayonne. And when you see Cool in the Gang live and how tight they were, you're getting firsthand stories from your heroes and you're realizing there's no shortcuts. Just because I had a rap career, just because I have social media to help, just because I have more, you know, I can record at home. Like I have so much more tools than those guys have, but there's no shortcut from the actual work. Like you could, I could, I have Instagram to share my, what I do where they didn't have that, but what's it worth if I can't play? Right. So it's right. like, did, you're not it, trying to be an Instagram drummer. No. Because that's just chops and like, you know, anybody can look good for 15 seconds, you know, but, <laughs> but it's like playing behind a singer for 45 minutes, the stamina, the group, you know, the sensitivity to the other members in the band, take your ego out. It's not about you, you know, support. All that stuff could only come through rope, just like years and years of doing it. And, and there was never a point where I was doing that and like, ah, I don't know about this. Oh, I'm 42. I deserve better. Like I was happy. I was freaking happy. Don't go out on the gig. Oh, 50 bucks per diem. Okay. You know, you know, like, you know, in the book, I would talk about like doing that in my twenties and it was so miserable, you know, sleeping on a promoter's floor and eating, you know, Subway sandwiches with the clips. You get the six (laughs) clips and you get the freebie, like living off sugar cliff bars and shit like that. Like it was gruesome. But then when I was doing something similar in my 40s, it didn't feel gruesome, even though I'm older, because I'm like, yo, I friggin' love playing every night. I think the reason it was unbearable was because, A, I didn't like rapping. I hated what I was doing. And then, B, I learned from that rap experience to remember why you started and with the drumming, Mm -hmm. like what it meant for my mental health. My, I was a caregiver for my grandmother while I was learning. She had dementia and she lived here. So I was an in-home caregiver and that takes a toll on you physically, emotionally. You know, I was pretty much raised, you know, by my grandparents a lot. And, you know, to watch my grandmother age in real time, you know, going downstairs and trying to figure out a lick or a groove or a roll or a classic break. Like it kept me sane while I was being a caregiver, you know? So I just look back on those days of what the positive energy that learning the drum, learning a new skill brought post book, you know, those years after the book, 2012, 13, 14, like I look at how much joy it brought and you never heard me complain when, when the sheets look kind of nasty at the Airbnb or there was a roach on the kitchen counter at Airbnb or you know, like, you know, we're, we're playing a you know a small venue, and the, the, the back line sucks, and the you know the sound man's a dickhead, and yeah, yeah. you know, it, you never heard me complain. I was having the freaking time of my life out there, be, because it's like, yo, 
I love music again. So to go to be a music lover, a music obsessed kid, teenager, young adult, to be like, yo, I can't stand the thought of myself in music. Like it makes me sick to my stomach. Like I'm still a fan of music, but the thought of my own music made me nauseous. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I love it again. Like I would do it all over again for that money. If I had, you know, if I had to, to, to maintain, like that's how much it meant to me. And I never felt tired or beleaguered in any way during those years. I just said, I'm paying my dues. If it gets bigger, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm just, this is great. I freaking love music again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it sounds like in terms of this sort of coma moment, this, this, this sort of fulcrum of <clears throat> what's different before and after it sounds like, I mean, there's the obvious difference of the logistics of you exchange one craft for another, right. but I'm definitely hearing the emotional quality. Y- your relationship to music is very different before and after you make the change. Yeah. Did it seep into other areas of your life? Like, do you feel like your temperament, the way you interact with people is different oh, now versus then? Like, man, like it, it's just like, I'm, I'm naturally a loner. I don't really like people. I'm not that very, I'm, I'm very much off the grid to myself. Like I don't have, a, I'm not a big, I, I'm a big talker when you get to know me and stuff, but I'm not like a like do rights. My partner does the booking, and I do the, you know, let's get test press for the vinyl. Let's uh, let's mm-hmm. create the, the press blurb for our music. Like I do that, and then he does all the hey. I talk to the promoter from like he does all the people shit. I do all the office shit because yeah, I'm yeah. not into that. But I just remember my. Like 20 at the end when I tried to do the hip hop thing again, like now, like early on in 2006, seven, it was a little bit more like, I don't know if this is working. Like I was confused. The second time I knew exactly what was wrong, but it was like, how do I get out? So I was begrudgingly doing stuff. And I was just very cantankerous during those years. I was a curmudgeon. It came out in the music. You know, my yeah. final hip hop album that I released in 2016, 80% of the half of it's instrumental because I just couldn't be bothered to rap on it. I just it's a, a rap album full of drum solos. And then the other half where I am rapping, every song is about how much I hate rapping in the hip hop world. The whole album. And people think it's hysterical. And I'm like, <laughs> it, I'm like, it is hysterical. But if I did a follow up, it would be sad. Because it's like, okay, you got it out of your system. It's hysterical as a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. But if I did a follow-up to that, it would actually be really depressing. Because it's like, yo, he's stuck. He hates it. And he just, he's just known as a curmudgeon now. He's just a salty. And everyone's dude. like, who are you doing this for? Yeah, it's like. No, I, no one's begging you to stay. No, no, yeah. Nobody's asking you to be here. And it was like. You know, I think working at a high school made me sensitive to the youth and the, the natural transition of generational zeitgeist, like with each thing. Because prior to working at a high school, oh, this young rapper, trap rapper, but right. uh, 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 you know, like you're just talking a mumble rap. And, yeah. and then when I worked in a high school, like, how are you going to, what right do you have at 33 to tell a 15 year old what they should listen to? That's some jackass shit. You don't have to like little young whoever, but how? What what business do you have of telling them no? Uh, 
you shouldn't listen to that. Um, NWA is better or whatever. Like you, you, you and then like I saw a lot of my peers becoming that on social media. And I was right there with them until I started working in a high school where and covering basketball, go you to go to a game, they just play the local, the newest hip hop shit. So you're at a game and it's some cheesy new song, but all the kids love it and they're warming up to it. Like that would be like my grandparents, you know, I'm listening to EPMD and that ain't no Duke Ellington. You know, like it would right, be the right. same. You're like, what? Of course not. This of course not. Like thing. Yeah. I love EPMD. I love Duke Ellington, but it's like now yeah, older, yeah. and you know, I can, but it's, it's like, so I think looking, you know, becoming more just like make way for, you're taking up space. You're, you're eating up hard drive space, being this curmudgeonly bitter guy who doesn't even want to be here. You're mailing it in as a producer. You don't give a goddamn about rapping. You want to be a drummer. There's a young kid who's like a passionate rap artist, a passionate right, producer, right, right, right. a passionate DJ who goes record shopping every week. Make room for them to come in. Stop eating up the space. Like, go be a drummer you're passionate about, and then you can go find your lane with that, and you can buddy up and find your tribe with other drummers and work with singers. Then you can come back and contribute to hip-hop as a drummer, which I did. Because when mm -hmm. people want to get around sample clearances, they call me because they know I can get really close. So now I love hip hop again because I'm an outsider slash concession contributor. Now I, I got my love for hip hop back by removing myself as an artist. Right. Is there any sort of temptation to go back? Like, are you constantly able to remind yourself how grateful you are? Or do you ever have moments where you catch yourself slipping and you're like, oh, I'm feeling kind of cranky? Never. Never? Never. Wow. Never. I mean, I get cranky about, you know, some things, just music business shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm on the other side. Like, I used to sample and get sued. Now people sample me and don't clear it. So it's kind of like, it's, but, but that's just, yeah. you know, that's like being, you know, you, your passion is owning a thrift store and then you're mad that somebody bought something and flipped it for five times the price. Right. That's part of the game. Yeah. You know, you get injured playing a sport. It's part of the game. People are going to sample me right off my Instagram and make hit records. But for everyone that does that, a Dan Orbach calls me up because he saw my video and brings me to Nashville to play on Hermanos Gutierrez. You know, I'm sitting there doing sessions for Dan Orbach because of Instagram. Yeah. And then some bedroom producer will sample me and make a hit and I don't get a dime. That's just the way it goes. So yeah, you get salty about it for a bit, but then it's like, yo, we got a gig tonight. So what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, like yeah. Yeah. It, it is what it is, you know, but it was never like, oh, I need to go. Like I'm totally, I just, I hate going backwards with, with just this unrelenting passion. I hate it. Like I hate, Revis I don't like reunions. I never did high school reunions. Like mm -hmm. I, I untag myself on social media when people tag me and like high school people like, yo, remember, yada, yada. Like I untag from class photos. Like I leave, like I already lived it. Like I just have an aversion to like wallowing in the past. It's like, well, you must not have anything current that is making you happy to spend so much time, <laughs> you know, like living in the past. Like I'm so happy. Just being in the present. I want to enjoy it. Rather so than what is it like doing stuff like this 
do you do you feel like you're or do you feel like because because this is a this is like a story at this point this this is part of your your story this 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 mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. does does and and i and and like you can, i'm not i won't be offended mm-hmm. does it feel does something like this feel frustrating where you're like i'm still telling this story or is it like no it's just important that i continue to reaffirm this part in this way i think it's all how it's framed um, in a situation like this, like I'm picking and choosing what to talk about to frame the story, because like I said, like after I'm gone, I want my story to inspire other people to like not be afraid to, to go after things that they're feeling and to listen to themselves. But it's it only gets exhausting when somebody else is it's kind of like. You know, like I would do drumming podcasts and it was like, well, like we have to talk about it because you have an atypical path in the drumming. And I'd be like, okay, but keep it short. Like they don't have to know what songs were on the third album. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) it's just like, yo, you had a rap career, you know, because, because then it becomes like, well, what makes me any less deserving to play Austin City Limits than a drummer who's been playing since he was five? Like, it's almost like you're insinuating that my path as a drummer isn't enough to warrant mm. my stuff. It's like, we got to mention your hip hop thing is almost like, it's almost like the celebrity DJ thing. Like, okay, Paris Hilton's DJing, but we know her as Paris Hilton being, a, you know, a, a socialite and now she's DJing. So the tagline is, oh yeah, it's Paris Hilton. Whereas if somebody was just a DJ, they're being respected for their craft. So it's like, at a certain point, I sometimes I get self-conscious. I'm like, am I being respected because the way that I play drums and and my what I'm doing as a musician, or is it like, yo, you're just in awe that it was from a hip hop career. Sometimes I have to shake myself and be like, well, the story is part of it, but, but you're not like getting over quote unquote, because you were a rap artist. And like, that's my number one pet peeve. Like when people say, Oh, he got that gig because he was, it's like, yo, I'm going to go to Portugal and I have currency from Qatar and I'm going to go into the store and buy something. <laughs> right, like right, right. me being a rap artist does not make me qualified to lead a band and a bunch of singers. Like, so people, when you dip too much in the story, I think people subconsciously think, well, he kind of got over, he got a faster right. trajectory in drumming because he was already Jay's own. And it makes me feel like for some reason, like a drummer who only was a drummer, is somehow more worthy because he doesn't have another story. He or she, that's their story. So it's like right, it takes right. away from, no, I belong. I, I deserve to be, I belong here. I worked hard to be here. I'm not here because of the novelty, this footnote that, oh, yeah. in fact, he did this. And it's like, okay, but the guy who hired me had no idea until I made the audition that I did that. That's the difference. Well, and if that were the case, it just wouldn't, be able to happen that many times. It would, exactly. Like the first time it was like, you know, but then when it happens multiple times, like Dan Orbach hit me up, you know, um, about, you know, he saw a clip of me on Instagram. He thought I would be a good fit for the Hermanos Gutierrez record. Danger Mouse is a very close friend of mine. We, I've done a ton of work for him as a session drummer, but I met him as a hip hop artist because we were both mm-hmm. producers in the same hip hop world. I appeared rapping on his first album with Gemini, the gifted one, which was ghetto pop life. So 
you know, and he worked with Dan Orbach, obviously. Danger Mouse worked with, you know, the Black Keys and all that stuff, all that stuff. So he worked with him. So, you know, I asked Dan, I'm like, oh, did Brian, Danger Mouse is Brian Brady. He's like, oh, so, you know, did you hear about me through Brian? He said, no, I just saw you on Instagram. You know, Brian? I was like, yeah, I know Brian. He's like, how do you know him? I was like, well, we were kind of like hip hop peers in the early aughts. And then when I became a drummer, you know, he started calling me for stuff because he took notice. He was like, you had a hip hop career? Under what name? And it made me happy because I'm like, yo. Yeah. I got this gig because of the way I'm playing. I didn't get this gig because, fun fact, he was this hokey jokey rap guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, also, it's not like you were like Biggie or something. No, I, where it's no. like, and and the thing is, nostalgia has made that because if we didn't have YouTube, nobody or you know nobody would know this stuff because it's not on streaming. It's it's just like you you have to have been there. To know about it and then through YouTube or, you know, people keep it, you know, they talk about it on social media, they keep it alive. But I wasn't famous. Right. But it's almost like, you know, I think the passage of time and nostalgia, like when Gen Xers get old and they don't like what's on the radio, they go harder and harder into high school, college, mm -hmm. adulthood. And then they and everything's just the best there ever. Was. Everything was the best then, and then they recycle that music over and over. Some of those artists can benefit from it, like a lot of those artists from the '90s. They made a living in Europe, touring in the 2000s and up to recent. Because, but some artists did it and just moved on. And like I'm one of them. I, I had my time. I did what I did. I had good times. I had bad times. Now it's time. I had a long, messy divorce from it. And and it's it's like it's totally time to move on, you know. And it's like you're always gonna have people like pining and hanging on. But then when I go to, the, I'm like, sometimes I'll be like, this guy is a nuisance. He keeps. Let me look at his page, and like all his posts like have like hashtags stuck in the '90s. I'm like, oh, case closed. Like, uh, you want to go back to drinking Crystal Pepsi? Is that what we're doing here? Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to wear, you know, do we still want to wear cross colors pants and, and you know, pick up pay phones full of foreign substances to page people back? Like, is that really like now is <laughs> trying to be, you know, right. so um, it, it's just it's just part of it because now artists, everything is you're, you're accessible now because of social media. So I think if I have made this transition. At another time, I wouldn't be as easily accessible, but then I don't think I would have been noticed mm -hmm. because how would I have, how would I have any, anybody have seen me without social media? Like if I did this in 2003, what would I do? Put clips on my website and hope people go there? Right, right, right. right. You know, like, so you have to take the, I'm, I take the good with the bad, you know, it's like there's, there's good to social media and all this stuff, but you know, there's bad and then there's good. Like this is an opportunity to just hammer the point home even further. Like, okay, now is the 17th anniversary of this album. I'm not going to post a picture of it. I'm going to yeah. show you what I'm doing today. Yeah. Because 17 is a weird ass number. Yeah, right. <laughs> 17 years ago today, you released this album that, that went, you know, triple polyester and man, <laughs> it, it was so slept on. It was so underrated. We want to give you your flowers. Yo, yeah. I appreciate it, but it, it was 17 years ago. So the the whole florist gump thing, 
That's what I call it. Like where they, everybody, yo, you got to carry your flowers while you can smell them. It's like, yo, I got my flowers by writing the book and putting out the records and moving on. Like flowers guy, I'm a botanist at this point, you know? This show, which came out of my second one-man show, which was set in the afterlife, mm-hmm. one of the sections of that show, I claimed that in the afterlife, we all get to fully relive one memory. And so it's not like your other me- – it's not a men in black situation. Other memories aren't wiped. It's just you get to fully drop down into like a room you can go into and out of whatever, wherever, whenever you want. And – I'm curious to if if you're cool with me narrowing it down even more cuz obviously this is an interesting question for someone who's spent the last hour talking about not fucking with nostalgia. Yeah. So I'm wondering if there is a single drumming memory that you would want to live inside. It's a great question, man. Because there were there Thank were you. a few. There yeah. There were a few, man. I would say the Austin city limits with, with Adrian Casada. Yeah. Okay. Well, take me through it. What, what other than the, cause the prestige is an external thing. That's hard to, yeah. you know, feel in the moment. Tell me about the setup of it. Tell me about the, the day. Well, I'll give you the day leading up. I, I'm a chronic migraine sufferer. Mm. Bad. And um, they come on kind of unexpectedly is minor triggers, but basically, so the Austin city limits show was on a Sunday. The TV taping, the, there was an outdoor festival, Austin City Limits, on a Saturday. And then Friday was full rehearsal, two run-throughs. Thursday was just the band with the strings and horns. And I landed in Austin on Wednesday, just the rhythm section. Okay. And Sounds like pitchers and catchers. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a, a gradual workup to it, but we didn't have a whole lot of rehearsal time with everybody. Actually, the outdoor Austin City Limits was considered a rehearsal because when there's a sea of a zillion people in your way up there, who's really freaking paying attention if you make a mistake. Right. But when you're on TV with cameras and people in this circle looking down on you and the lights and everything, it's way more intense. So, and it's captured forever. So you're like, Ooh. but so I had a, I, when I landed, I had a migraine and at that first rehearsal, it was so bad that they said my lips were turning white. And like, I was like looking out, it was one of the worst migraines of my life. And I went to the hotel, puked my brains out and slept for like 14 hours and turned my phone off. And I wake up Thursday and Adrian is like, yo, I'm worried. Like, are you all right? He thought I had COVID or some kind of thing. And he was Yeah, like, when was this? This was in October last year. Okay, okay. So this was, you know, Wednesday before the final show on Sunday. And this is, you know, Thursday morning, he's texting me like, yo, I'm about to replace you because I need to do this. And I just thought about all the hard work I did to get here. And even learning the album, preparing, I practiced at home for months in my basement, the whole set, learning everything. And like, it's just flashed before. And I immediately texted him, no, I just had a migraine, no COVID, no flu, (laughs) no, I'm good. I woke up next morning, totally fine. But like leading up, you know, it's like all this anticipation and my my good friend, one of my best friends from college, James, he was in town on a work trip. So it's like, yo, James is going to be there. 
you know, and it's like, he saw all this, like he was my college roommate. So he, he was my, he did the book. He did the design of my book. He did the, oh, wow. so he was my art director for those years. So he saw all of this, my grandmother getting sick, the, the end of the rap thing, the drumming, the South by Southwest, the bot. he was there through all those ups and downs. And so he's going to be in the crowd. And, you know, so it's like, it's like this big, big moment. But like I was saying about all those Chitlin Circuit drumming tours I did, I didn't feel nervous. And I was just like, yo, am I crazy? Like, I don't, I feel confident. I don't feel yeah. nervous. And I just remember feeling real good. Like those days leading up, the day of, first time in my life I ever did makeup. Like I'm doing makeup. This shit wow. is definitely big time. They're doing makeup on a dude. That shit yeah, is big time. I'm the drummer. Yeah, I'm a goddamn drummer. You do it, makeup. Yeah, and we have matching outfits. I'm like, this is like Soul Train and shit. Like we go, like this is the chit. Right. And then yo, we walk from the tunnel onto the stage, and the crowd was like deafening. And it's like all around this lights. They're introducing us. We go on the stage, and man, it's like it happened so quick. Like I did the opening count, and before I knew it. He introduced the band. He said, on drums, Jay Mumford from Queens, New York. And I've never had an applause like this in my entire career. I'm just a drummer. But to get yeah. an applause for Jay Mumford, the drummer, and not Jay's own Ugh. rapper, you know, to not get blessed. I'm getting chills hearing about it. Yeah. Man. And it's like, you forget, like in 2016 at South by Southwest, I was drumming and rapping in a rap group that I didn't really, that, that was like a, a stressful situation i quit the band after that but i got booed off stage my last time rapping in austin was in austin so after south by southwest 2016 i swore i'd never go to austin again until adrian <laughs> started calling me for gigs so to be back in the same city right uh be back in the same city six and a half years later a few miles away from where i got booed and the, the whole rap thing imploded I'm getting this biggest applause of my life for Jay Mumford, the drummer. I'm just a drummer in an 18-piece production. But to get yeah. this thunderous applause, it was like, and my friend who's seen it all, he's sitting there in the crowd, and it's like, this is going to be on TV. Like, my mom and dad are going to see it. My aunt's going to see it. And it was just like, holy shit. Like, I never felt that way before. And I'm not really, you know, like super emotional. It was emotional for me, you know, for that, you know. Just have you watched the clip? Oh yeah, I mean, no, they they cut out the band introductions at the end because they had to make it sing. Why well, <laughs> didn't? Can see you it. tell? That's really funny. <laughs> You're yeah. like the one moment I watched. Well, yeah, they cut that. They were like, okay, that's the show. They show the whole crowd going ballistic, and then they yeah. put our names on the screen. But to see Jay Mumford drums, I'm like. I did it without using Jay's own. Like I was able to do it without leaning on this this tried and true thing that I spent 15 years building. I don't need it anymore. Like I, I can do this without anybody knowing about, not that I'm ashamed of it, but it's like I made it without, you know, like, oh, you know, leaning on the Jay's own thing. Like, well, what, you know, yeah. oh, you had like, you, you'll ask this drummer about his career, but no, we got to ask you about your hip hop career for 20 minutes mm -hmm. before we get into It's like, no, I didn't need that. Like I was able to do it as Jay Mumford and get that kind of response and be part of something that, that can't be taken from me. It, it'll be there forever. 
you know? Yeah. And that's, and what a gift to have James there and James to be able to have that reflected back to you. And then he, you know, he texted me like that night, like, yo, that was amazing. He's like, yo, I'm proud of you. He's like, yo, be ready because, you know, working with Adrian, this is a good chemistry. He was like, he was like, you worked your ass off and it showed. And it was like, you know, and all, and, and the most important thing, the other musicians in the band, everybody was happy because you want to make everybody you play with feel good. As a drummer, you want to take your ego out. You didn't see me doing no crazy rolls, no fills, no solos, mm-hmm. no flashy. Mm-hmm. You could barely notice I was there. And that's how I know I did my job. Because yeah. this yeah. is about the singers and this band leader, guitar player. You have strings, you have horns, you have a master keyboard player in Jerron Marshall. You have Carolyn Trowbridge playing vibes. So she's, you know, like, ooh, vibes. That's different. You don't yeah, want yeah. to distract from that by, like, I'm just going to do this Keith Moon thing and just right. pull my ass. You know what I'm saying? Well, so, and it takes confidence to be able to pull, to, back. Yeah. To pull back and to trust that. Because the thing I relate that to is, like, acting or, like, voiceover stuff. Yeah. Where I was, you know, I spent all this time doing stage stuff. And you go into a voiceover booth. And you're like, did I do anything? They're telling me to do less. And the confidence to do less and know that those hours and weeks and months of rehearsal are just coming through. I mean, that's that's confidence. Yeah, it's it's like I'm confident to know that I don't need to let everybody know I'm here. They're going to mm-hmm. feel me here through what others are doing. Yep. And being doing that gig and being like, wow. You know, so like that whole experience to me, like the Austin connection, having my friend there, like doing it as my real name, like getting on something so prestige, being around these musicians who've been playing a lot longer than I have, you know, and it's like for the first time in my career, it's like, well, it's it's not a novelty. I feel like I, I belong here. You know, like it just everybody made me feel like I belonged. And it wasn't like, oh, you're getting over because you made some some comedy rap shit 30 years ago. Like, it's like, no, you. You, you know, oh, they, well, none of them knew about my past. And that made me feel even better. Like I'm here because of the work and the dedication and, and, and staying on that path when everybody else was saying I was nuts. <laughs> you know? That's the show. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Jay for coming on. Thanks to Jay for being an inspiration of a dude who can change courses midstream. We need more examples of creative people truly going their own way. And he's one of them. And check out all his links to follow him and hear his music in the show notes. Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr to hear the full convos and more audio that I'm releasing. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. You can do have faith. You're human, only human, and human beings they do miracles.